This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Air Force is drafting a new automation strategy. It's not all about killer robots or bots replacing humans. Instead, Air Force officials say automation software is making airmen's jobs just a little easier and a lot less boring in some cases. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday reports. Air Force Chief Information Officer Lauren Nausenberger says the service is still fleshing out its new automation strategy. During ASEA Nova's Air Force IT Day last week in Arlington, Virginia, Nausenberger said the strategy is only a draft right now. It'll probably be several more months before it's coordinated throughout the Pentagon, signed, and published. Nausenberger says the service is considering how it can take advantage of the software and tools it already uses. Part of it is also looking at how the service can use robotic process automation. Ultimately, Nausenberger says the strategy is not about any one application, but how quickly and efficiently the Air Force can move and process data without needing a human to do it manually. When we're talking about moving data or we're talking about visualizing data, we want to do more and more with, with feeds that are automatically sending data to where it needs to go rather than having operators have to get into the loop. So we still do have a problem with that in certain places or you know, we're passing data via chat in certain places. The Air Force is working with the other military services on the joint all-domain command and control concept. A key goal of JADC2 is increasing automation and linking sensors and weapon systems by quickly passing data between them. But beyond the headlines about artificial intelligence and machine learning on the battlefield, the Air Force is already pushing automation across its back office and broader enterprise. The stated goal is to make life easier for airmen, guardians, and civilians. And some leading tech companies are also emphasizing that potential in their pitches to the Defense Department. Sean Madej, Google's DoD Chief Technology Officer, also spoke at the Air Force IT Day. Swarming drones and autonomous killer robots sound great, but I think the reality is we have an opportunity to remove so much toil from the lives of our airmen, from the lives of our soldiers, our guardians, our Marines, and our sailors. The systems they're using today are inefficient, they're slow, and they have not great user experience. So I, I think it's great to have an eye toward the great things that AI is going to do. But in the meantime, I think we can focus on using some of this emerging AI technology to make processes more efficient, to remove a few seconds here and a few seconds there, so that we can free our uniform personnel up to do higher level thinking and perform higher impact kind of tasks. The Air Force recently established a robotic process automation center of excellence. It's situated under the Program Executive Office for Business and Enterprise Systems. Earlier this month, leaders from the Center of Excellence went on a robotic process automation roadshow to provide airmen with RPA training. As it looks to take advantage of RPA, in many cases, Nausenberger says the Air Force is simply catching up to where commercial industry is. There are some manual jobs that we are still doing because we have not made the type of investments that a lot of industry has made to, to provide that automation and that really awesome software. We have a crazy amount of technical debt. We have a large number of like different systems that sometimes do the same thing. We know this, we're on it, we've done the analysis, we're trying to rationalize. We never have enough capital to invest to do it as fast as any of us would like to see it. You know, and so it's, it's just a matter of putting the plan to action. Last year, the Air Force Vice Chief's challenge posed some simple questions to airmen and guardians. What part of your job do you just not want to do anymore? And how could it be streamlined? We were jokingly referring to it as the dear AI robot, please come take this part of my job challenge. There are some things that humans just don't want to do. You know, it puts us to sleep. The Air Force ended up picking 15 winning proposals. One was a customer service chatbot that could field financial questions at Air Education Training Command. Another winner proposed introducing software that could automate squadron flying schedules. 
and a proposal from Air Force headquarters suggested automating data collection to help fix systemic problems in the Air Force child care program. Nausenberger says those projects are now in various stages of implementation. She says she wants to get the Air Force to the point where it's making RPA applications easily available across the service as part of its cloud environment. What I'd like to get us to is for robotic process automation. Here are the products that are accredited for our networks. Let's have them available and easily consumable in Cloud One. And let's have industry be thinking as part of their solutions, how do I use those enterprise services to help you? Nausenberger cites a recent project her office took on for Air Force security forces. She says caseworkers there were struggling to adjudicate criminal cases because they have to pull information from multiple databases. The RPA Center of Excellence is now working with security forces to help automate the data collection. Nausenberger says the project isn't just a good exercise in the utility of automation, but also the ethics of how much to rely on the technology. No one wants a bot to replace the judgment that someone has in, in determining how serious a crime was or like what a punishment should be or, or indexing you know, something in criminal justice with the FBI for an airman. But we do need our caseworkers to be able to process more than eight cases a day. It is taking them too long because they have to go to so many different different places to get their information. Similar data access challenges exist across the Defense Department. And as the Air Force works through its broader automation strategy, Nausenberger says sometimes patching those problems with a bot won't be the final answer. Sometimes it's a great interim answer on our way to assessing what is wrong with our software that got us there in the first place and helping us to design those future software flows. Because if that bot is having to take like 20 different steps to get to something, You know, why does a bot have to do that? Why wasn't the information just pulled from all of those data sources automatically to provide a report that is in the same format every single time for that case officer? Sometimes RPA is just a way of seeing our picture better on our way to what the real end solution is, which is probably better software. Justin Doubleday, Federal News Network. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. 
How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. 
Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.